3: We admired a singer at that time called Bruce Chanel, I think his name was, uh who had a song called Hey Baby, where there was a harmonica riff. So we started doing Hey Baby. Mm -hmm. I sang it, John played the harmonica. Mm I think that was one of the contributory factors for when we were going to write something. That's a good idea. This harmonica thing's a good idea. John can play it well. We could write something that would feature a harmonica. You know, instruments come in sort of vogues. I mean, you think of skiffle. Yes. Guitar. Was was like a harmonica. It's what everyone got for Christmas. It was what everyone got, and that then spawned the '60s revolution. I'm
2: Paul Muldoon, and I've been fortunate to spend time with one of the greatest songwriters of our era.
3: And will you look at me? I'm going on tour. I'm actually a performer.
2: That is Sir Paul McCartney. We worked together on a book, looking at the lyrics of more than 150 of his songs, and we recorded many hours of our conversations.
3: It was like going back to an old snapshot album, looking back on work I hadn't ever analyzed.
2: This is McCartney, a life in lyrics, a masterclass, a memoir, and an improvised journey with one of the most iconic figures in popular music. In this episode, Love Me Do. Love,
0: love me do You know I love you I'll always be true So please
3: Love me do
2: For a group, Like the Beatles, to come into existence, you need quite a few planets to align. But you also need prodigious talent, clever strategy, and insatiable drive. In this episode, we trace the origins of one of the earliest Beatles songs. These days, it's difficult to remember a time before the Beatles – But back when Paul McCartney and John Lennon wrote Love Me Do, they were merely schoolboys trying to make a hit.
3: In the afternoons, I sometimes had a rather kind of light class that I could get out of. And so I would say I had a dentist appointment or something, and they didn't check too heavily, so I would be able to get on the bus, go back home, and arrange to meet John, who round about that time was going to the art college next door to my school. So we'd meet up at my house, which is now a National Trust establishment, (laughs) 24th and Road. And we would meet there because that was the most convenient place and my mum and dad wouldn't be there. So we would go there and start just knocking around, showing each other stuff that we'd written already. And then... Writing new stuff together, and this involved a couple of songs that have never been published or have never been heard. Uh, and, and songs like um, Just Fun was one of them, mm-hmm. and they, they were very rough little things, but you know, it was the start, right? Now, do you still have copies of those? Are there still copies of them you know, uh, I do, I say, or did have an old school exercise book. It's right. a nice little blue book, mm-hmm. the hard pack. And in that, I wrote, Just Fun. Um, da, 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 da. Just Fun, they said that our love was just fun, the day that our friendship begun. There's no blue moon that I can see, there's never been in history, because our love was just fun. Kind of country, man. And then Too Bad About Sorrows was sort of... Too bad about sorrows. Wah, 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 ooh. Choo, cho, do 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 think it's a little doo wop thing. This was the start. Um, and then it, I'd written in angel voices.
2: In that little blue notebook, where the two schoolboys had scribbled their very first lyrics, there was evidence Lennon and McCartney... Envisioned themselves following in the footsteps of other songwriting giants,
3: and at the top of the page, I'd written another Leonard McCartney original.
2: So you already had a sense, even though you were what sixteen, yeah. a little older perhaps, that you would have a future. Did yeah, you, did you?
3: I mean, I think it was more a sort of wish than a sense. It was more, you know, this thing if you visualise it. It might come true. And you know, when you think of Leonard McCartney, it was because we'd heard of Gilbert and Sullivan, Rogers and Hammerstein, but if we didn't, it would be Leonard McCartney. That's good, there's two of us, and we, could, we can make up one of those type names. Lieber and Stoller, Goffin and King. Well, these were magic names to us. We didn't realise Coffin King was Carol King.
2: Mm-hmm. Didn't realize it was a girl. Mm-hmm. And an amazingly young woman, I was.
3: Very young, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was thrilling to know that there were these people out there, and this is what we wanted to be. And Love Me Do came around that period. One after 909. Love Me Do and One After 909 actually got published and actually got recorded. My baby says The others didn't get recorded. And the, the school exercise book, I found it probably about 10, 15 years ago. Put it in my bookcase, and I've since lost it. Oh, no. I don't know where it is. Oh, I think dear. it might show up somewhere. I hope but so. But it's the first ever sort of Lennon McCartney manuscript. Oh, oh, dear. Anyway, yeah, well, oh, dear is right. But, you know, you have to let these things go. Right. Oh, baby, don't
0: be
2: Another duo which had a profound influence on young Lennon and McCartney was the Everly brothers.
3: There are certain people that you can credit for pretty much everything we did. Because I, I think that's true of everyone. I think everyone's got a hero that forms them.
0: I How did I exist I
3: so as John and I were two male vocalists who sang in harmony, our biggest influence was the Heavenly Brothers, who we loved, adored to this day. Uh, I, I just think they're the greatest, and it was different. You'd have barbershop quartets. You'd heard the Beverly sisters, the three girls, you'd heard all that. But just two guys, good-looking guys. This is good.
0: Oh yeah.
3: So yeah, we loved them and idolized them and wanted to be like them.
0: Uh-huh. I
3: it's like when people later would see The Beatles on The Ed Sullivan Show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight,
1: live from New York, The Ed Sullivan Show.
3: I meet a trillion people who say, that, I knew that's what I wanted to be.
1: Last Sunday, on our show in New York, The Beatles played to the greatest TV audience that's ever been assembled in the history of American TV.
3: When I saw you, four-headed monster, on the telly, and you, I've got to be part of this. Our current manager of Beatles' Apple Records says that. Bruce Springsteen says that. David Letterman says that. They all formed on that night, formed this, this future for themselves. And there we were in Liverpool forming this future in the same kind of deal.
0: a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello.
1: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets, so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at t-mobile.com unconventional unconventionalawards. That's t-mobile.com unconventional unconventionalawards. I'll save you a seat.
0: Ready?
3: Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos.
0: Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it,
1: San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Fund Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
2: Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye? Yeah. Lennon and McCartney were working in the wake of all these great songwriting duos who wrote songs for others to sing. And singers like the Everly Brothers, who sang other people's songs. But there were also people, like Buddy Holly, who could do it all.
3: Buddy Holly, to us, was amazing for a number of reasons. He sang and played guitar. Elvis just sang and Scotty Moore played guitar. He not only played guitar, he played the solos. Normally if you played guitar, there was another guy in the group who was a lead guitar who played the solos, but Buddy Sang played guitar and played the solos. He also wrote the stuff. So this was like all-inclusive one-man band. And we really thought that was great. So this is what we have to do.
2: When you me cry Buddy Holly inspired the youngsters to explore their full musical potential and he also helped John Lennon overcome his embarrassment about wearing glasses.
3: He also wore these big horn rimmed glasses and as did John and if ever there would be a girl coming around John would whip his glasses off and put them in his pocket <laughs> and squint as she went by and I don't see, you look pretty good, the glasses are good now. But when Buddy came along, the glasses stayed on. It was like Harry Potter with all the (laughs) kids. Buddy
2: Holly had more than just the musical chops and the suave image that John Lennon and Paul McCartney coveted for themselves. The name of his group, Buddy Holly and the Crickets, had a certain entomological ring to it
3: the name the crickets right you know we wanted something with a dual meaning and it turned out they didn't know they had a dual meaning the crickets yeah they They didn't know about the game cricket oh i see no they just thought it was grasshoppers right so we said to them i met them years later i said fantastic man the beatles We we loved crickets chirpy little things and the great game of cricket what a brilliant name for a group and, and they went, why, why, "Why, You know, oh no, we just heard a grasshopper in the studio wall." You know.
1: Uh, did you?
2: Did uh, <coughs> you remember, remember sitting around thinking, "Buddy Holly and the Crickets, the Beatles, will be a great name for us?"
3: Oh yeah. My memory of it was that we were striving to find something with a dual meaning. Right. Because of the crickets. This was the idea. Now, the actual origin of it is clouded in mystery. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I miss you. Ever since the club split up, I missed you. Because there
3: are all sorts of theories about this. There's the Wild Ones with Marlon Brando. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Lee Marvin says, hey, Johnny, Johnny, or Johnny, I think he's called.
0: Come on, Johnny. We all missed you. Do you miss
3: them? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Johnny, we love you. You know, come on back to the gang or something like that. Johnny, we love you. The Beatles love you. Do you miss them?
0: Yeah. yeah. The Beatles missed you. All the Beatles missed
3: you. It turns out the, the moles, the girls in the motorcycle gang were called Beatles. I see. It says the Beatles love you. Johnny, for all times. And I know John and Stuart, his, his art school friend, Stuart, right. Stuart Sutcliffe, loved that film, as we all did. I think they'd seen it. I think we just loved it and hadn't seen it. Anyway, so that's one of the theories.
0: As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms apply.
1: Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers, is about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? by using a combination of technologies. The Cellular Vehicle to Everything Network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The City of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business unconventional awards. An event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com/unconventional awards. That's T-mobile.com/ unconventional awards see you there
3: ready okay give me a beach beach
0: give me great food tacos give me adventure hiking give me a date night sunset cruise give me some smiles cheese give me more
3: beaches beaches
0: what's that spell
3: san diego
0: if you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at
1: san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
2: Today, it's easy to forget how the creation of the Beatles required thousands of small choices. Songs which are now canonized were once simple phrases two boys having fun when no parents were home one of them with a notebook in hand, the other playing a harmonica.
3: At one of those writing sessions, 24th Lynn Road, up a little garden path, past my dad's lavender hedge, you know, we would write, uh, Love me do, and John came up with this little harmonica riff. It's so simple. I mean, you look at it now, there's nothing to it. Uh Uh-huh. It's a Will of a Wisp uh-huh. little song. Love me, do. Ooh, love
2: me, do. So, what do you
3: think, think do. made it you know, become such a potent, powerful. I think that our image and our energy as the four Beatles was what was potent. and. Um, It had a very fresh sound. Right. That's the sort of thing that people notice. Mm -hmm. And we had a very fresh image. Uh Nobody looked like us. Uh And we'd been working at it a long time. In Liverpool, originally, as a really a bunch of rockers, you know, with the quiffs and everything. Gone over to Hamburg Mm -hmm. as the rockers. Had got a little bit leatherified there. And then it moved from leather to suits at the request of Brian
2: Epstein. Brian Epstein, an entrepreneurial young man from a family of successful retailers in Liverpool, had stumbled upon the Beatles at a 1961 lunchtime concert. He had no experience managing artists, but he did have lots of confidence. So, in short order, he signed a contract to manage the band and told them to get suited up.
3: And so we all went over to Ben O'Donnell, who was in the Wirral, uh, Birkenhead, uh, a tailor. We'd never been to a tailor, really, you know, so certainly not on maps. We all went over and got suits. So we had this image. We had all the experience, musical experience of Hamburg, of playing a lot. Your 10,000 hours, Mr. Gladwell's right. 10,000 hours. So when we kind of then came on the scene and were seen on television, we had a freshness, complete simplicity. The Love Me Do is has got a slightly sort of bluesy thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a blues, no. but it's got a simplicity like a little sort of down home on the porch with a couple of guitars and a harmonica. Love me do.
2: At the heart of these simple lyrics is a familiar story. A young man yearning for a woman to love. Someone to
3: love Someone like you It's a funny thing. You try and recreate that stuff now. And it's almost impossible. Why? Because you were 16. That's why. You were looking at the world and the world was good. Mm -hmm. And there was this marvelous rock and roll future unfolding itself. And you were about to become part of it. So your longings for a girl, Mm -hmm. which was impossible to achieve. Right. You know, nobody had that little perfect high school sweetheart. You you know, so there was this great longing for your career is you didn't know what you were gonna do, and it was a dread of all dreads. I was about to go to teacher's training college. and I was trying to put that off forever. (laughs) I did not want to go into that mold. Mm -hmm. So there was all these different kinds of longings. John and I's mothers had both died, which was this amazing bond between us. We both understood the anguish of that. And at that age, it's largely unspoken. Mm -hmm. You just say, oh, your mother died? Yeah, so did mine. Um, We knew. I knew the circumstances of his mother's death. He knew the circumstances of mine. And we would talk about it a little bit. But being young boys, you didn't talk about it much. Right. So all this was rolled up into this package, Mm -hmm. this longing, and it spilled out which is the best way to write. Love me do, oh, love me do
2: Some of this longing for their mothers, for love, for artistry, was fairly abstract. But they also had more concrete ambitions. They had met other songwriting teams who churned out hits and made good money.
3: John and I looked at they the right. We could do that. What a good idea. If we get hits, that will then get money. And it may not buy us love, but it'll buy us a car. I must admit, you know, we were young guys without any money, coming from Liverpool with dreams. And once we realized that to write a hit song would get you some money, it was very attractive, very attractive thought. And it wasn't just the money, it was then the joy of pulling a song out of a hat, being able to play it with our band, which needed songs. So we were sort of feeding the machine.
0: I want to hold your hand. Take one.
3: Do it slower. No. Shh. Clean beginning. Now.
2: Later, when the Fab Four moved from writing in the parlour room to writing in the studio, they learned to crank out hits at an impressive pace. Take four.
3: Travelling
1: on the it's you, it's
3: you. Our recording hours were what now classical people do. It's, it's the norm for recording. You normally go in 10 o'clock. You get yourself together. You start at 10.30. You then will work three hours. You then have an hour break. And you work 2.30 to 5.30. And that's it. And in those two periods... Of three hours, it was expected that we would be able to finish two songs. Yeah. So, so we did, and that's that was the the output and the, the the great the flow, of just having to come up with two complete things. But the great thing about this was, you were finished by 5:30. Win a harmonica like the Beatles play. Not a toy, but a genuine Honor marine band harmonica, just
0: like those played by the Beatles.
2: Maybe what allowed the Beatles to come together was the force of their longing. Maybe it was the long studio days, the churning out of albums, the carefully crafted image. Whatever the case, they went from looking at other artists, dreaming of becoming them, to being the artists' others would dream of becoming. Play along with the Beatles with your own genuine Honor marine band harmonica from KLIF. What the Beatles would become was beyond what any of its members could have dreamt of when they were 16 and playing harmonica in their living rooms.
3: There were all sorts of things, as I say, that you instinctively knew. Don't try... Too hard. Don't work too hard at reaching for it. Because the more you reach, the more it'll recede. Mm-hmm. Just kid on that you don't even want it. Right. Something will happen. Where everyone else around us will be worrying oh, what's going oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. We always related back to this. Accident we'd had on the motorway going from London up to Liverpool where we'd skidded off in the snow down the bank with our van And at the bottom of the van were this how the hell are we ever gonna get home? It's snowing we're freezing and someone in the group said well, something will happen, <laughs> and it was like That became a mantra, right. and you know as I say it's actually a very good one. It's this it's not reaching for it It's letting it go love me do
2: Love Me Do from the Beatles 1963 album Please Please Me In the next episode McCartney starts over with a ragtag band on the run
3: I just thought we'll just start something that feels good and we'll build it up like the Beatles did
2: McCartney, A Life in Lyrics is a co-production between iHeartMedia, MPL, and Pushkin
1: Industries. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you, and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer? Enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry, and me—I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com/unconventionalawards. See you there.
0: Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> give me museum fall apart give me a woo roller coaster what's that spell san diego if you're happy and you know it san diego is the place to show it book your family vacation at san diego.org
1: funded in part with the city of san diego tourism marketing district assessment funds Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar piano drums and singing you know i love music